I was, um, you know, blessed, privileged to be born into a really great family, and then I was blessed and privileged to marry into a really great family, and that's been such a wonderful thing. I'm so honored to be able to um, even be asked to come here and to share with you guys for the next few minutes, Um, and uh, man, like uh, Pastor Kim said, I'm married to their eldest son, Jake, uh, the most handsome, for sure. Um, Sorry, everybody else, but Um, We've been married for about 11 and a half years. We have, um, about two of those have been really good years. And um, I'm kidding. And we have three kids. They're six, four, and three years old. And so our life is a constant, loud party. Um, Our next door neighbors are like 333 years old. And um, the other day, like, we have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a three-year-old. It's like loud. They're all, if you've, you guys have met them, you've seen them running around. They are full of life. It is loud at our house. And um, the other day, we, I was talking to the neighbors, and she was like, it's just so quiet in this neighborhood. I never hear you. And I'm thinking, oh, you're deaf. <laughs> How sad. She doesn't even know that she's deaf, you know, because I'm like, Pfft. It's loud. There's no way you don't hear us, you know. But um, we, we planted a church two years ago in Eugene, and um, we love it up there. But it's so great to always be with you guys. This is like family. This is home. And I'm so excited to get to talk to you guys about um, love. I love my city. I love my church. I love my church. And I'm so excited. I love my church. I love the church. And I love my city. And I love this city. And I'm so, I'm so excited to be able to share with you guys about that today. You know, um, how many of you guys saw The Incredibles when it came out? Well, we had a movie in the park, like an outreach thing in Eugene, and um, we had a bunch of inflatables. We had cotton candy and ice cream and popcorn, and we did a movie in the park. And so um, I kept asking, as we're getting closer to this event, I kept asking, like, um, do we have a screen to play the movie in the park, right? Because we keep advertising that we're doing a movie in the park. Do we have a screen? And they keep being like, yeah, so-and-so has a screen. So-and-so has a screen. And I'm like, okay. Well, like a week before we did this event, we had gone camping with all of our family down here in Southern Oregon. And um, my kids are just so privileged to have this amazing uncle, Uncle Gino. All their uncles are amazing. But they, Uncle Gino is like, you know, the movie man. And so he... On the, when we were camping in the woods, he set up for my kids to watch The Incredibles on, on the side of their tent, inside their tent. I'm like, what is this? This is not camping when I was a kid. This is amazing. And so we get to, you know, a week later we have this big event and there's jump houses and stuff. And they set up this blow up screen and it is literally about the same size as the one that was on the tent. And I'm just like, okay, scoot closer. (laughs) Let's scoot closer to the screen. And so we watched um, Incredibles 1. And that was, you know, my kids, they had fallen asleep when they watched it, when they went camping. So this was like the first time they saw the movie all the way through. And it was a really great time. And the next morning, Saturday, we woke up and Jake's like, let's go see Incredibles 2. Well, we don't take our kids to the movies. We don't go to the movies. And, And so I'm like, who are you, you know? I'm like, okay, let's go 
see Incredibles 2. Well, you know, we're going to go to the first showing because that's the cheapest, right? Because there's a lot of us. And still, when they add it up, you know, when you're paying, you're like, whoa, all right, okay, all right, we're doing this. And they have those awesome lounger seats. Do you guys have those lounger seats? So it's super fun. And um, we all get in there, and Jake's like, I have to go to the bathroom. So he leaves, and we're all excited for the movie. And when he comes back, he has the biggest vat of popcorn. And we're just like, oh, who are you? We're just having a party this weekend, you know. And so we watched Incredibles 2, and it was, it was so much fun, and it was a really great time. And, you know, because I have three little kids, we watch a lot of kid TV, right? These kid shows, these kid movies. And there's one theme that I notice with all of these movies that, Almost every single time is what it is. The kids, you know, they are, or the characters, they're doing something and they're working together. And then one of them has the idea that they no longer need everyone else, right? And so they no longer work together. And then, you know, everything falls apart. This is like the climax of the movie. Everything's falling apart. They're never going to be able to make it. And then in the end, they realize we need each other in order to, to get our goal done, right? That's like the theme of most kid movies. And I think this is so interesting because my kids are little and I've noticed something about little kids. They don't need help getting along. Kids love to work together. We went to the park recently and um, they were, my kids, and then they gathered all of the kids at the park together and they had water going and they made this big river in, through the sand of water going through the park and then they were building a dam and they were damming up the, the water, you know, and they were like all working together. They literally were saying like they had older kids who came and helped and one of the older kids, he was like, I'm the foreman. And then the other, you know, older kid was like, I'm the water person. And she was in charge of the water and they were giving the little kids do this and build it like that and do it like this and all of the kids strangers in the park are working together and that's really how kids are huh so it's so interesting to me that kid movies they always have the same theme because it's not really kids who have a hard time working together is it it's us as we get older we have a really hard time working together you know and this is even happening with our, our eldest daughter, Evie. She's six years old. She, you start to notice differences, right? So sometimes she sees other kids, and she'll come to us, and she'll be, you know, worried, insecure, and say, I think they're smarter than me, right? Or she'll notice another kid, and she'll say, you know, oh, I'm taller than that, that kid, right? As we get older, we begin to notice that we are different from each other. And the hard thing about noticing those differences is we begin to compare ourselves to each other. You know, it would be nice in some ways if God just made us all exactly the same, right? And then we would never have to worry about not being the same or not looking different and not being good enough, right? But God didn't make us that way. He made every single one of us unique. And we as humans, we notice those differences. And you know what we do? We begin to compare Comparison always leads to pride or jealousy. 
every single time. We see someone else and maybe we decide I'm better than that person. I'm more good looking than that person or I am better at jump roping than that person. That's the only example I could think of in that moment or whatever it is, you know, you think like they're always late and I'm not late. I'm better than that person. I, whatever it is. And we compare and we think we're better, which means we get full of pride. Or maybe we see someone else and we see that they're better than us. They talk more clearly. They, oh, when you, someone tells that joke and you have that guffaw laugh. How many of you guys have that guffaw laugh? I have that laugh. It's so loud and it just rings in my ears. Every time I laugh too loud, you know, it rings in my ears forever. And I'm like, why did I laugh so loud? Right? And that person over there, they never laugh that loud. They're never embarrassing, Right? And we compare, and so, so if we think someone is better than us, then we begin to have jealousy. And you know what, you know what comparison does? It rips us apart. In Romans chapter 12, we're going to read verses 4 through 6. It says, In this way we are like the various parts of the human body. Each part gets its meaning from the body as a whole, not the other way around. The body we're talking about is Christ's body of chosen people. Each of us finds our meaning and function as a part of his body. But as a chopped off finger or cut off to a wooden amount too much, would we... So since we find ourselves fashioned into all these excellently formed and marvelously functioning parts in Christ's body, let's go ahead and be what we were made to be without enviously or pridefully comparing ourselves with each other or trying to be something we aren't. Isn't that beautiful? What it's saying here is that if you are a Christ follower, right? If you've chosen to give Christ your life, to give Jesus your life, you're a Christian, right? That's what we call ourselves. And so what they're saying is, hey, Christians, if you're a Christian, you are part of a body. And so it's using the body, the human body, as an example to show what we are part of. And it's not anybody, it's Christ's body, right? Jesus no longer walks on this earth. And so what it's saying is every single one of us make up Jesus's body to walk here on earth and to act like Jesus. And so what it's saying is that every single one of us make up a part of that body. How many of you guys are sad that you have two lungs? Nobody, right? Right? We're happy for the inner, the, the organs that we have. Maybe some of you guys are like, actually, I did lose a kidney, you know, or whatever. You know, I, I don't have that appendix anymore or whatever. But, but for those of us that have all of our internal organs, we're grateful, you know? And, and every morning I don't get up and thank my organs for what they do, but I am thankful that they work, right? And every once in a while when we get sick, that's when we're like, well, my organ's not working, <laughs> right? Something's wrong on the inside. Every single part of our body is important. It's not only important, it's vital. You know, if you were walking your dog, right, and you saw a spleen on the side of the road, you wouldn't just be like, oh, there's a cute little spleen, you know? You'd be like, why is there a spleen on the road? What are you doing? Where's your home? Where are you supposed to be? It would be useless, right? There's no reason for a spleen to be on the side of the road. And yet when we disconnect ourselves from each other, 
When we disconnect ourselves from the church, when we disconnect ourselves from the body of Christ, that's what we are. We're spleen on the side of the road and we're sitting there like, no one's going to notice this is weird, right? Everyone notices it's weird because Christians belong in the body. And so many of us, we look, we look at these kind of verses and we think, man, well, if I'm part of the body of Christ, then I must be like, I don't know, a nasty pinky toe or something, right? Well, if I'm part of the body of Christ, then I must be tonsils. Because tonsils, we don't really kind of need tonsils, right? And we, we act like what, who we are is not needed in the body. And you see, what I love about this analogy is that for a body to work, it's not just like, oh, it's important to have these things or it's better if you have these things. No, it doesn't work unless it has all of these things. You see, the body of Christ doesn't work unless you're part, unless you're here. We need you to function. We need you to be part. We need you to step up and take your place and be who God has created you to be. It's not that, oh, we'd be better if you would. It's that we absolutely need you to. We absolutely, it's necessary for this body to function correctly if, for you to step up and be in your place. You know, with the movie Incredibles, the, the word incredible, we hear this word and um, it's not actually, doesn't actually mean what we think it means. You know, when we say this word, we say, you did an incredible job today. Or man, that coffee was incredible. Or man, my kids, you know, I tell them they do incredible when you, it's not really that incredible, you know, like they run and it was like not great, but you're like, that was incredible, right? We, we encourage them, you know, like uh, there's this huge paper drawing on our fridge right now, no idea, can't tell what it is. Jack said it's an Elmo who's also a dog. Indecipherable, but he was so proud of it, and so it's on our fridge, and I told him it's incredible, it's not, okay? But, but I told him that because, good job, dude, keep it up, right? But that word incredible, we use it in a way to show that something is amazing or wonderful or great. But the actual definition of the word incredible is impossible to believe. Highly unlikely, doubtful, far-fetched. And you know, some of you guys, when we read this passage of scriptures, and you're hearing about how you're a marvelously functioning part, when you hear that, you say, that's incredible. That's doubtful. That's far-fetched. That's impossible for me to believe. But it's true. And the first step for every single one of us to step up and be part of God's great functioning body is to believe that we are marvelously functioning, right? I'm gonna read what the exact words were. Excellently formed and marvelously functioning. Do you truly believe that you are excellently formed and marvelously functioning? That's the first step for every single one of us. There's a woman in the Bible, in the book of Acts, and 
this is um, after Jesus has gone back into heaven, and this is when the early church is just exploding, right? And, and the um, disciples, they're going all over, and they're preaching the gospel, and they're seeing people get healed, and they're just doing amazing miracles, amazing things are happening. You know, when Peter preaches, like 5,000 people get saved at once, you're like, mic drop, right? Didn't even have a mic. You're like, how, are, how do 5,000 people hear you? It's just, it's really amazing what's going on. And it actually says in the book of Acts that Peter is getting so well known, right? His reputation is just getting huge. People all know about him. And when they hear that Peter is coming to their town, they literally bring the sick people into the streets, just hoping that Peter's shadow will fall on them. So not even, not even like maybe Peter will pray for this person, but they're like, even if Peter's shadow touches you, you're better off. Now we don't actually know if Peter's shadow was healing people, right? But that's how big Peter's reputation is getting. That, I mean, this is like the man, right? This is the guy, you know, if we have like celebrity pastors today, right? This is, this is Peter. Everybody knows about Peter. And in, during that time, there's a woman in Acts chapter 9, verse 36. It says, now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. When I was in youth group, when I was a teenager, there was a girl named Tabitha. And so I always called her Dorcas, and she really appreciated it. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days, she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all aside, knelt down and prayed, and turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive, and it became known throughout Joppa, and many believed in the Lord." What an incredible story. This woman, who, who we don't know, right, anything about her. She's not like has a podcast with a million listeners. She doesn't have a huge blog. She's not like, you know, this woman who is an amazing official or she's a doctor or she's whatever. But she's just an awesome woman that says that she was full of good works and charity. And so she dies and literally people are like, no. This can't be, not Tabitha. This can't happen, right? And so they rush and they get Peter. And they say, maybe Peter, Peter's near. He can do something. Peter, he can pray for her. Maybe she'll come back from the dead. And when Peter gets to the house, this is such a beautiful picture. It says there are literally widows from the community. So one person can be related to what? Maximum two widows, <laughs> So we know this is not just her family that's outside waiting for Peter to come. But this is literally neighbors. This is literally people that her life has impacted. And so they're standing outside weeping and they're saying, Peter, look at, look at what she made. This woman was full of good works and charity. And look at, she made everyone tunics. Isn't that beautiful? 
And so Peter goes up and he, you know, prays for her. She comes back from the dead. But this is what's so astounding to me about this story is that Tabitha wasn't stopped in her life by comparison. Can you imagine if this was you or I today, right? And we're at church and we're like, Peter's the man. He's amazing. He prays for people and they get healed. His shadow goes by people and they are healed. He preaches and 5,000 people at a time get saved. Peter's the man. There's no place for me. What could I possibly offer compared to Peter? But that's not what Tabitha did. Tabitha realized, no, I have something to offer. I have something to give. And you know, maybe to me, it doesn't look like it's as big or as good or as whatever, but it's what God has given me to give. And so she gave it. She was full of good works, right? She wasn't empty of good works. She was full of good works and acts of charity. And so what her hands knew how to do, she knew how to sow. And so she did it and she did it for people. That is a marvelously functioning part of God's body, right? That's an incredible story. It is hard to believe (laughs) that a woman was raised from the dead. And yet there it is. She lived her life, right, giving to someone else. You know, there's a man in our church, and he oversees all of the Celebrate Recovery in in our county. So there's quite a few, you know, different churches. Celebrate Recovery is um, an, an addiction recovery kind of program, and he oversees all of them. There's so many, and he does an amazing job doing that. But you know, you know what he does that I think is way more amazing? More than, you know, ministering to addicts, helping them, walking them through, leading leaders, right? What's more amazing that he does is he takes young men fishing. All the time, I'll see pictures of moms whose kids don't, whose sons don't have dads. And she'll be like, thank you so-and-so for taking my son fishing. That's amazing. And that has such a big impact on someone's life. You see, so many times we minimize what it is that we have to offer. And we say, you know, all I know is how to sew. All I know is how to fish. All I know is how to be nice to people. All I know is, is how to be a doctor. All I know is how to, whatever it is that, that we have gifts to do. And we think because it's not preaching or because it's not playing guitar or because it's not leading awesome kids to do things, right? We think that it doesn't matter, that it's not significant. But it is so significant. And we not only... We not only need you, but we want you to be part. We want you to come and step up and be part of this functioning body. So three things today about this story. Number one, do you believe God wants to use you? It starts with you believing God wants to use you. You see, the world in secular society, they would have you to believe that you are just slime plus time plus chance. There's no rhyme. There's no reason. You're just here right? But that's not what God says. God says he created you, that he knows you, that he took the time to knit you in your mother's womb. Have you ever tried to knit? It's awful. (laughs) It's horrible. It's not easy. And yet that's the word that God used when he talked about making you. It's personal. It takes time and effort. He made you. He knows what makes you laugh. He knows what makes you cry. 
He knows what every single day of your life has been like. He made you. You have to believe that he wants to use you. I don't believe we serve a God that made you to not do anything with you. No, I believe I serve a God who made me, who knows me and wants to use me, that I have a purpose for my life and you have a purpose for your life. Do you truly believe God wants to use you? Because he does. The second thing, what are the gifts that God has given you? What are the individual gifts that God has given you? Every single one of you in this room, there are people in your life I will never, ever meet. I'll never talk to. I'll never smile at. I'll never anything. I won't have a chance to ever meet them, but you do. So what are the gifts that God has given you so that you can reach those people in your life? What are the gifts God has given you? The best place for you to find out the gifts God has given you, the first step is go to growth track. I mean, just start today. There's no excuse. There's no reason. There's lunch. There's childcare even. Give me a break. I'm going to go just to have a break. Right? There's no reason. Go to Growth Track. Your church is offering you this amazing resource to help you know the gifts God has given you. That's amazing. You don't have to live your whole life wondering the gifts God has given you. You can find out today. You can start this journey of finding out why God made you and who he's called you to be. God has given you gifts. And you might say, they're totally practical. We need totally practical gifts in the body of Christ. Or you might say, I, I, it's just prayer. I just feel burdened to pray. That's the only thing that changes anything anyways. We need you to pray. What are the gifts God has given you? And the third thing is, are you living a life that leaves an impact? Are you living a life that leaves an impact? If I was going to say this in a morbid way, it would be, would anyone be weeping for you at your funeral? Literally, the community around Tabitha was weeping. This is not a life we can lose. She, she had too much impact. They were saying, it's too hard. We can't live life without this woman. She lived her life for her community, and we need her back. You know, if you come to my funeral, if I die unexpectedly today and my husband isn't crying, just get him. <laughs> All right? I mean, I mean, I'm going to hope my family at least is crying. But is there anybody else? Are my neighbors going to notice a difference? Are my coworkers going to notice a difference? Am I living a life in a way that's actually making an impact on the places where I am? Are you living a life that will leave an impact? We always minimize our contribution. I know I'm about to go over on time, but I'm going to tell you guys a quick story. There's a woman in our church, and she, is, she, she, doesn't, she didn't know Jesus. She didn't grow up in religion. She didn't grow up with any sort of Christianity. And she was married. She had kids. And she worked in an office place, an office building. And tragically, one of her sons died, died unexpectedly. And she's, you know, broken, shattered. And she's supposed to plan a funeral. And in her head, a funeral is a religious event and she has absolutely no religion so she doesn't even know I don't even know how to plan a funeral but there's a woman in her office who had a verse that's it a verse on her desk you know one of those little placards or whatever just a verse on her desk 
And so she went to that woman, you know, her friend in the office and said, you have this verse on your desk. I, I, that must mean that you're like a Christian. My son died. Would you, what do I do? Do you know how to plan a funeral? And through that woman helping her plan her funeral, she gave her life to Jesus. And now she's an awesome woman of God in our church who serves all the time, who loves on little kids, who I just absolutely adore. You see, we, we minimize the impact that we can make in our life. Well, what, what's the big deal? If I, if I live my life, if I have a verse on my desk, and if, I, if I'm just trying to show people love and kindness like Jesus, let me tell you something, that will change something. That will change your workplace. That will change your family. That will change your community. The only way that we can have an impact in Southern Oregon, right? The only way that we can have an impact where we are is if we stand up and say, there is more for me to do on this earth. God put me here for a reason. It's my job to believe I am who he says I am on the inside of me and to begin to walk forward in what he's called me to do along with the rest of the body. That's how Medford can change. That's how Table Rock Road can change. That's how people can be impacted by, the, by Jesus Christ, by his salvation, by his knowledge, right? By his love is by us banding together and saying, no longer am I going to sit on the sidelines. It's time for me to get in the game. And take part in this body of Christ that I'm called to be in. I'm going to tell you guys one last story. There was this man. His name was Father Larry Gillick. I know it's a funny name. And he's a professor at Crichton University. And he was teaching. Um, at, he went to an elementary school and he was like a guest teacher at an elementary school. And so he's teaching, you know, and it gets over. And um, this little third grade girl comes up to him and is talking to him after, you know, just asking him questions. And so she's talking to this, you know, father. And um, she goes, well, you're blind. See, Father Gillick had had a childhood disease that left him blind for the rest of his life. So he'd been blind, you know, all his life. And so he smiles at her and he says, that's not news to me. And then she says something that just totally surprises him, takes the words from his mouth. She goes, well, you don't know what you look like. And he's, you know, he gets lots of responses when people realize he's blind, but he's never gotten that one before. So he's kind of stunned at the profoundness of the, of the statement for a second. And so he's quiet. And in that silence, she goes, you're beautiful. Let me tell you something. Today, you're Father Gillick. And you're sitting there and God's coming to you. And he's saying to you, you don't know what you look like. You've looked in the mirror for however many years and you think you have yourself figured out. You think you know what you look like, but you don't know what you look like. You're beautiful. God created you on purpose with a purpose. And he's coming to you today and saying, will you believe me? Will you trust me that what you see for yourself is not what I see? And who you see when you think you have yourself figured out is not who I see. See, God knows the beginning from the end. He knows our whole life. He knows why he created you the way you do, he has. We don't yet. And God's looking at you today and he's saying, you're beautiful. 
And let me tell you guys something. We need you. We need you to know that God created you. And we need you to begin to step into what he's called you to. We not only need you, we want you to be part of this functioning body of Christ. And maybe you're here today and you say, I don't know Jesus. I don't know him. Let me tell you, today there's an invitation for you to get to know him. You see, the Bible says that every single one of us have sinned. We've done something wrong. We were born into sin. When you see tiny little kids, they they do something mean so young, so little, so early. Why? Because we were born into sin. And that sin is what separates us from a relationship with God. It's what made this chasm where we can't have that relationship with God that he wanted us to have. And that's why he sent Jesus. That's the whole purpose of Jesus, was that Jesus would come here, live a perfect life, be tempted in all the same ways that you and I are tempted, and yet never sinned. And then he died on the cross for every single one of us. And that is enough to be beautiful. But it's not the end of the story. After three days, he rose from the dead, conquering sin and conquering death. And the Bible says that if we believe that he is the son of God, we confess with our mouth that he was raised from the dead, that we can be saved, that we can be brought back into this relationship with God, that the God of the universe wants to know you, wants to talk to you, wants to be friends with you. And so if you're here today and you've never given Jesus your life, it's it's so simple. We're going to say a prayer together. But right now, if everyone would bow their heads, close their eyes, and if that's you and you say, you know, I want to follow Jesus, would you raise your hand? No one's looking around. It's not embarrassing anyways because it's the most incredible decision of your life. But if that's you and you say, no, I'm ready. I'm ready to give my life to Jesus. Just simply raise your hand. Because we want to pray with you. Anyone else? All right, right now we're going to pray a prayer. I'm going to ask everyone to just repeat after me. It's not a magic prayer. It's just simply you saying, God, I'm going to follow you. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for loving me. Thank you for choosing me. God, I confess that I have done wrong things in my life. Would you forgive me? Would you help me to begin to walk new with you? Would you teach me how to live? In Jesus' name, amen.